0: So welcome to another episode of the Pod podcast. My guest today is composer and songwriter Julian Marshall. So tell me a bit about yourself, Julian.
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I've been a musician all my life. I have a very varied and long career. I'm 70 next year. So I was a classically trained musician and went to the Royal College of Music on a prestigious establishment to study piano. And I was a pretty terrible student, actually. Left there and got really into writing songs with my ex-school buddy Kit Hayne, and I basically was in three bands: a band called Marshall Hayne, a band called the Flying Lizards, and then the band called Eye to Eye with the wonderful Deborah Berg in America, working with Gary Katz who produced all the Stevie Van albums. And then after all that, eventually collapsed. I did a r for record companies for a bit so was my way compositionally for a while and then I started teaching and then I realized I really loved teaching and then began to Im- merge teaching with composing, which is what I've been doing ever since and I've been writing more kind of classically orientated compositions for the last kind of 15 years and just now been back into something which I describe as more of a jazz aesthetic. I'm a teaching fellow at ICMP in London. And I teach privately, coach and mentor people privately, which I enormously enjoy. And I live in Suffolk. I'm a grandfather. I have two children, Gabriel and Solomon. Been married to Arabella, who's a glass artist, for 24 years.
0: Great. So I'm going to pay you a piece of music and I want you to tell me what it makes you think of. If you could switch off the analytical part of your brain, the one that's saying, oh, this is a particular key and that, and just say, what kind of emotion does it bring okay all right here we go
1: What I notice is that it's not so much pictures, but qualities that come to mind. The words are reflective, tender, and vulnerable. And they are very important qualities to me. And by reflective, I mean that there's that sense of confidence and uncertainty, which can be such a wonderful part of improvising, and indeed much composition. And then that tenderness, that sense of, sweetness and heart opening and with that a vulnerability i.e. the the strength to be in that place a combination of those elements very beautiful thank you okay
0: would you say it's like a paradox you have a sense of confidence and then
1: vulnerability yeah I, i think that it takes confidence to be vulnerable it's like we need to know that it's all right to step into that place and particularly if it's in a sharing situation or any kind of public environment it it takes some courage I think to step into that place and I don't see it as a paradox I see it as a partnership that, that the two go together people often talk about being confident but I don't know anybody who is confident I know people who have confident moments and less confident moments and Beholding that, the rise and fall of confidence, seems to me about as good as it gets, really. Then there's that other sense of confidence, which is just the willingness to allow something. And I think that's what you're doing there in my experience.
0: I'd like you to tell me a story of some kind. And then what I'll do is I'm going to break it down into sections... And then I'm going to improvise a
1: soundtrack to that story. Yeah, I do have a story. So we're going back now to 1981. And I have just left my successful band, Marshall Hayne. And I'm feeling really at sea. It was a huge thing to leave. And then I was dropped by the record label, EMI. And so I stepped from being in this very happening, successful band and suddenly really a very empty space. And Arabella, my wife and I, decided that we would go on an extended holiday. We went to America and we got a car. We just started driving. We ended up in San Diego in California, staying with some friends. And I I had a kind of dream, (laughs) which was I wanted to be with Warner Brothers in America because they were a label that had all my favorite bands. They also, in a sense, represented my then favourite music. But I could see no way in the world that this is going to happen. In this kind of dream, and the uncertainty and the lack of confidence and the vulnerability and the I'm nowhere near sure about where I'm at what I want. One night Arabella said, Look, there's this improvised women's dance group performing tonight. Let's go and see them. We went along. It was an amazing evening a group called Mostly Women Moving. It was contact dance improvisation. And they were providing all their own music and all their own movement. But there was one of the dancers who had hurt her knee and couldn't dance. So she was singing instead. And as I listened to her singing, I thought, oh my God, she, she's amazing. And afterwards, went up gingerly to her and said, well, oh, your singing is amazing. Uh, and we just had a chat. We exchanged telephone numbers. When I got back to England, I, I called her up and invited her over to England to try doing some writing with me. And again, with no sense of certainty about where this is going at all. We wrote for about three weeks, and we came up with a little demo, and we released a single through a little tiny teeny, rugby label. It was a complete flop. Nothing happened at all. But that very single got played in an a meeting in Warner Brothers in L.A. because the little label did have an affiliation with Warner Brothers. And then out of the blue... We got a call from Warner Brothers, from Gary Katz, of Stevie Danbridge, saying, "Love loved your single, would you like me to produce your album? Within a year or a year and a half of meeting Deborah, we were indeed signed to Warner Brothers in America. My favorite book of it's called The Soul's Code, which was about how a lot of the time, this idea of being in control of our lives, just let go of all that, and just see what life has in store for us, rather than what I think I have in store for life. And that was a wonderful journey of that. When we were assigned to one of us, was life suddenly easy? No, it was a real challenge working with Gary. He really threw down a gauntlet. I had to grow up big time. <laughs> but uh, what it really showed me was just demonstrating something about not knowing, about chance, what's possible, about intention but also, in a sense, about how unimportant self-control of intention <laughs> can be sometimes. So letting go of that.
0: It's one of those things, if she hadn't have broken her leg, she would maybe not been singing,
1: and therefore you wouldn't have led on to other things. You're absolutely right, Luke, that it's one of those examples of out of an apparent disadvantage came something which was very
0: beautiful. We're going to break it down into sections. First of all, you're in this sense of unease, in your life not quite sure what's going on so there's a sense of confusion sense of frustration now i imagine and then at the dance class there's performance something happens here there's a sense of mystery there's a kind of encounter and then that leads on to the beginnings
1: of something successful it's more like a door opening creative door opening yeah very nicely broken down Yeah, lovely. A sense of door opening is very clear and something transforming. I suddenly realised it's a kind of classic hero's journey monomyth. And I really felt you reflected that in the music.
0: In your compositions, have you explored uncertainty? This idea of not sure what's happening?
1: Yeah, so in a number of different ways. There's this very nice Buddhist phrase of not knowing. And the idea that in order to really engage with something, we need to really engage with it with a truly open mind and without trying to evaluate, assess, judge, or control too much. And what I find really helpful in composing is what I call a splurge and craft approach, right? Just allow myself to really splurge and then bring the kind of crafting process to composing. And I do that using notation software, which I find very helpful as a way to come up with initial ideas at the piano, but then taking the ideas to notation and then playing around with the, with the notes. So it's got a kind of a, an improvisatory sense to it as the music becomes more kind of crystallized. So that's one area of uncertainty. The other thing is that I feel that music and the arts can deal with a sense of uncertainty and ambiguity in a way that the modern brain doesn't particularly deal with so well. I think this is the area where words stop, the arts take over. He's been able to deal with a kind of subtlety and a nuance of emotion and experience that it's hard to find anywhere else. Um, When I'm composing, I find there's
0: two modes. You have the, the splurge which seems to be coming from a source that is unknown, that it's intangible. And then once you've had that, you, you switch modes into something more formal, actually arranging it and making it sound consistent. Do you find that you have two ways of thinking
1: about it? I do. I'm very much reminded of the work of Dr. Ian McGilchrist and his work on the brain, his latest book, which is called The Matter with Things. It's an extraordinary book. And he really talks about what you're talking about in enormous depth. And that sense of the two hemispheres of the brain really work together. And this is shilly-shallying across the divide, if you like, between the, that kind of um, fettered experience, how the right hemisphere approaches the world, how the left hemisphere approaches the world are essentially rather different or very different. But we need both. How the left hemisphere kind of organize in a sense what the right hemisphere has been dealing with, and then it can be fed back into the right hemisphere at the end of the day. If it remains too cut and dry, then it's boring. So it it needs to come out. It it seems to me it's it's, it's got a three-way process of kind of splurge, craft, splurge. (laughs) And uh, that seems to me where the pieces turn out the best. Cellos and voices is what I've been mainly working with the last period of time, a little bit of little orchestral tango and 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 some electronic scoring, which I've been really enjoy. If there's an idea is germinating, usually there'll be an instrument or instrumental group associated with that idea. So I try not to find out too much about what the instrument can do. I do feel that through listening to so much music over the years, we do absorb a heck of a lot of info so even if we're not quite sure of the range of a bass trombone or something we have a sense of what that instrument does and then in my experience it's really great just to stick stuff down on on paper as it were and just try it out and one of my favorite composers Michael Tippett he he got into trouble with doing that is that he could often write music which was incredibly difficult and actually not that suited to a particular instrument but his approach was let the player deal with it and if they're really good players they can deal with it and Yes, they do. It may take some challenge, but the result is so remarkable. But basically, it's a mixture of the two things. Obviously, you've got to write within range. You want to make it enjoyable for the player, otherwise it's going to get fed up and not want to play it. You you want to make it so it feels like the instrument is really appreciated and, and loved for what it can do. And indeed, sometimes what a particular player or singer can do. I'm a bit throw caution to the winds. Of guy you have to try it out and then see what happens, and, and then somebody can tell me, Julian, this absolutely doesn't work, and so I'll start again. Is
0: there anything you want to promote? Have you got any
1: gigs lined up or
0: concerts or anything like that?
1: Another kind of work that I've been doing, which is inspired by this incredible poet called Gertrude Colmar, and who is a Jewish and German poet who perished in Auschwitz in 1944. And she wrote a, a Cycle of poems called Velton Worlds, which I've mined and either setting words or inspired, inspired by a certain text. During lockdown, I made a film with some fantastic creative partners, a reimagination of one of the Colmar poems called Yearning, and uh, so that was a real thrill. And then I followed that up with another collaboration, a setting and then a reimagination of another poem by Gertrude Colmer called Garden in Summer. And Garden in Summer was a collaboration with another, Devonian actually, Anastasia Bruce-Jones. So these two pieces, Yearning, Garden in Summer, and then managing to record another Colmer piece, which I'd written it back in 2011 really, called The Angel in the Forest from this incredible tenor called James Gilchrist. So we took six celloes from the Philharmonia Orchestra and James Gilchrist. That was an incredible thrill. So I feel very blessed to be able to record, create, record, and release these three projects. And just to finally finish off, we did a remix of the original Garden in Summer track, which featured the the drumming of Steve Gadd, who's been one of my absolute hero drummers for many, many years. There's a new kind of chapter open, I think um, Feeling a very strong pull towards kind our of, jazz aesthetic, And really going way back to when I was in my early 20s, when I had these bands, which were quintets or sextets, and I'm really feeling that really strongly. At the
0: moment. I listened to the one with Steve Gadd, the remix of The Gardens. I thought it was great. Yeah. He's very good at just not doing much as a drummer, just doing so little, but adding so much, if you so
1: mean. Exactly. It was wonderful how that came about. Unstated is the word that I would use. I really was clear that it needed to be what he wants to come up with rather than what I thought he might come up with. And um, he was very clear early on in the process that this idea, this approach, he felt really worked for the track and was what he wanted to do. Took to a getting used to it. We're going minimal. And, and then, of course, became extremely grateful. All
0: right. I think we'll wrap it up. The work. So, what did you
1: get out of this podcast? I really enjoyed it. It's really nice to talk to a fellow musician about music and about the impact of music and about the potential of music and also to do something so spontaneous and your uh, ability is encouraged just to do that, hear a story and then get into the kind of feeding that story back is, is lovely. So I feel very blessed and very honoured.
0: Well, thanks very much. It's been really insightful.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Luke. It's been lovely and uh, I look forward to seeing you at some point in the not-too-distant future, I hope. Great. Cheers, Luke. Bye-bye. Join us next week for another episode of Impropod. Thanks for listening.